Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from His calling to His victory over the grave. We are walking alongside His journey to the cross, to His death and burial, and then to His resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. Good morning, church. As Jay said, my name is Jacob. I get the honor of being the discipleship pastor at Rolling Hills, which means I get to work really with all our campuses when it comes to adult discipleship and mission. So it's my joy when I get to come to one of the campus and study the Bible with you guys, especially the Nolansville campus. Uh, I was hoping Jason wouldn't be here today because I have so many nice things I wanted to say about him, that I, things I would never say to his face. Um, but uh, honestly, Jason's one of my favorite people on the planet. When we're talking about prayer today, I know Jason is somebody in my life that I know is always praying for me. I know he's always interceding for me. He lets me know via text all the time, I prayed for you this morning. And oftentimes, I never share him this with him all the time, it's always at a moment where I... I needed to be lifted up, and I can feel his uh, prayers overcoming my heart or whatever I'm dealing with, whether my family or whatever I'm walking through. I know Jason is faithful to do that for me, and I know that he's faithful to do that for you guys as well. So you guys are blessed to have uh, Pastor Jason as your uh, campus pastor. So excited to continue our series today, This, um, The Way of Jesus. I, I love the book of John. The book of John has been so crucial to my discipleship and my growing uh, in Christ-likeness very early on. It was a book that I held on to very closely reading and studying in the book of John. So I'm excited to dive into John 17 um, today. You know, this, this last week, uh, it was spring break, and we usually don't go on a trip for spring break, but uh, me and my family of six, uh, my wife, Shanna, we've married for uh, a little over 15 years, and we have four kids. We have a, a nine-year-old son, a seven-year-old son, a five-year-old son, and a one-year-old daughter. So when we go somewhere, we really go somewhere. Um, and we decided we are going to do a spring break trip this time, so we went to Dollywood. Uh, I'd never really been to Dollywood. I went to Dollywood like 10 years ago when I was a middle school pastor, we did this thing called 24 Hours of Badness where we didn't sleep for 24 hours and it ended at Dollywood. I've blocked most of that out, so I don't, I don't remember all of that. So, But we went to Dollywood and we bought the tickets. I remember my wife and I were like, really, it costs this much? And we bought the tickets and we were like, okay, hey, we're going to Dollywood. But here's the thing, we, we got there. We're, I'm the kind of guy, like, I struggle with going to places I've never been before. I want to know where to go in, I need, and, I needed, and I couldn't get the information I needed, so I was like, I was having to trust the Lord in a lot, a lot of these things of, like, just get there, park, they're going to take you to the next place, you'll figure it out as you go. I kept asking people, hey, give me some advice about Dollywood. They were like, oh, it would be fine, eat the cinnamon twist. I was like, that's not really what I'm looking for. <laughs> but we get there, we go in the door, and we finally, we take the trolley in, we get in the door, and I realize, okay, we bought the ticket. But we have no idea what to do once we get in here. We were clueless, and people could tell we were clueless. We're just ghost faced, like, what do we even do? We want to rent a stroller. Where do we rent a stroller? We're asking people, are there strollers here? Do we have to make one of the parts laying up? They're like, no, go over here. You can rent the stroller. So we rent the stroller, and then we start roaming. We got the maps. We're looking around. I got my nine year old. I'm like, he's smarter than me. I bet he could figure it out. He's looking at, I don't know where to go first. I don't know what to do. And this guy comes up to us. He's wearing a three piece suit, plaid suit, is a vest a top hat and a cane. He was like, can I help you, kind sir? And I was like, oh, yes, sure, you can help me. What are you looking for? I was like, maybe the little kids rise. Oh, right this way, let me show you. And to this day, I'm still not sure that guy even worked there. I think 
He was just a, a happy-go-lucky Dollywood uh, attendee like we were. Um, but he showed us where to go. We started figuring it out as we were going. We made some mistakes along the way. You know, we waited for the, the roller coasters for my older son, and it was a 125-minute wait. And I was like, son, I would not wait in line for 125 minutes. They were giving me $1,000 at the end of the ride. So he was disappointed, but uh, he learned a life lesson uh, <laughs> there. But by the end... We're coming towards kind of the entrance, and somebody's walking in, and he's like, hey, do you know where those strollers are that you have? I'm like, they're over there, newbie. Everybody knows that. Come on, man. Um, but here's the thing about the whole thing is, like, we bought the ticket to Dollywood. We got entrance into Dollywood, but that told nothing to us of how to be in Dollywood. It wasn't until the end to where we started to kind of really figure out the mistakes we had made, the things we should have done different, the way to be in Dollywood, the way to be successful, the way to find the enjoyment that we were looking for. There are certain things that we learned along the way to do that. And I'll tell you that whole story just so you could feel bad for me and my Dollywood experience, but also for this. The same is true of our experience of following Christ. When we heard Jesus say in the previous chapters, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that I say it like this, that Jesus is not just the way to heaven, which he is, that when we become followers of Christ, we, we have our ticket, we have punched the ticket, we are, have eternal life with Jesus in heaven, but it's not just the way to heaven, it's also the way to be in the world. That once we become followers of Christ, that is just the beginning of the journey. It's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning of the journey. We begin our journey of following him, becoming more like him. And what he's teaching us along the way is us growing into Christ-likeness. And the longer I was at Dollywood, the more I understood how to be there. The more we follow Christ, the longer we follow Christ, the goal is for us to look more like him, that our way of being in the world is more like his way of being in the world. And as you look at the Gospel of John, what we see is exactly this. As we study these passages, we see Jesus showing us not just the way to heaven, which that is our eternal goal, but the way to be here until heaven comes. And as we get to John 17, we see him showing us a crucial part of being a follower of Christ. All of John 17 is pointing out a practice that should be a part of every Christian's life, and that is going to the Father in prayer. And I, and I want to read John 17. I, I really was looking at this, and I was like, really, the only way to do this justice is to read the whole thing. So it's going to be on the screen, but I'm just going to read through all of John 17. But before I do that, I want you to just understand this. This is Jesus in context. This is Jesus with his disciples. He's been teaching them a lot up to this point, and he stops and he prays with his disciples. He's teaching them about prayer, but he's also praying for them. So as you hear these words and read these words in the text, this is Jesus' prayer. We are reading the words of Christ himself and what his prayer sounded like. So be listening for the things that he can teach us through this prayer. This is John 17. This is what the word of God says. I'm gonna try to, try to take a breath in there somewhere, so bear with me. John 17 says, after Jesus said this, after he was teaching, after he said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. 
I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they obeyed your word. Now they know everything that you have given me comes from you. For I gave them words that you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. We just sang about that. And the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except for the one deemed to destruction that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even if I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they may too be truly sanctified. We're almost done. Keep pushing. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just like you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory so that you you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those that you have given me to be there with me, and I am there to see their glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, through the world, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and I myself may be in them. Hopefully, as we were reading that passage, you could just picture in your mind, start to transport yourself to being in that moment, to being with Jesus and Jesus praying this prayer. And I think it's helpful for us to look at just a a brief 30,000 foot overview of what we just looked at. So if you look at this right here, it'll show you that the first part of this prayer that Jesus is praying right here, this is it. There we go. Jesus is praying for himself. It starts here at this beginning, you may have this outline in your text. It may have this as a heading. Uh, just a side note, those headings aren't Scripture. Those are humans that put those headings in there just to help us understand uh, these different passages here. So the first one is Jesus prays for himself, that he starts with this moment of taking himself before the Father in prayer. Then he transitions to this next part, which is Jesus praying for his disciples. So it's kind of these, these circles of going outward. He's praying for himself, and then he transitions to praying for his disciples, And then he transitions next to praying for future disciples and the church in general. So you see this this high overview, and it may have this title in your text as well. It says the high priestly prayer is what it's called in some translations. And what this means is um, in the time of the priest, the priest would go in and intercede for the people and give sacrifices for the people. It would be one person to go in and pray for the people's forgiveness. And what Jesus is doing is he's going on behalf of his disciples, on behalf of himself, behalf of the disciples, and behalf of future disciples and praying this high priestly prayer. 
But what I want you to see is this, is there's so much we could get into here, but I'm going to try to just point out things I think are helpful for us in the short period of time together. And the first thing is this, is that if Jesus is showing us not just the way to heaven, but the way to being in the world, the first thing we should see is that prayer is a crucial part of being in the world as followers of Christ. It was a crucial part of who Jesus was, and it should be a crucial part for each one of us in our daily walk of following Jesus. So we see in this first part in, in 17, 1 through 5, you see in the text, it's, it's Jesus praying for himself. So before we get too deep into that, I want to stop for a second and, and just talk about prayer in general. If prayer should be a crucial part of our every day of following Christ, what is prayer even to us? So when I say prayer, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You may have images that are, everyone, every one of us probably goes to a different place of what we mean by prayer, and what we, we may have images of when we were kids or now or things we wish life would look like in our prayer life, but we all have a place that we go. But I, what I want you to see is if somebody came to you, let's say your neighbor who doesn't know anything about the Bible or anything about Jesus comes to you, knocks on your door and was like, hey, I was watching this movie and they said something about prayer. I know you're a Christian. Uh, what is prayer? How would you define it to them? Would we be able to give a clear, concise definition of what it is? Well, this is not a perfect definition, but this is one that I, I try to, it's helpful for my heart, is prayer simply a conversation with God. That prayer, if your neighbor comes over to ask you, you can say, prayer is just a conversation with God. And here's kind of a step back to look at this, for example. So in the Garden of Eden, creation of the world, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and it says that Adam and Eve talked and walked with God that they were in this constant conversation together. They were in this constant walking together and talking together. That there was a back and forth between Adam and Eve, and this is perfect scenario of paradise. We could speak with God in this clear way, the way I'm speaking with you now, the way you speak with your spouse, the way you speak with your kids, the way you speak with anyone. There was this conversation. And then sin entered the world and separated that conversation. And what did God say in Genesis when that conversation was, was separated? That they had a, a working relationship of conversation, they were separated in the conversation, and God's first response back to him is says, where are you? He wants to know where they are. He's talking to them, waiting for a response, and they're hiding because of the shame of their sin, and they're not having the conversation any longer because they're worried about what they have done, and he's asking, where are you? So my challenge to all of us here this morning, when it comes to prayer, if it should be a daily part of who we are, if it should be a part of having conversation with God as we grow in Christ-likeness, it should be a return to the garden. The question that we have to honestly look at ourselves and really on a daily basis is, where are we personally when it comes to prayer? Is it something we're regularly doing? As God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? I believe through this text, he's asking us this morning, where are you? Where is the conversation between you and him? And trust me, I know this is one of the hardest times to ever live in to be a person of prayer. We are filled with so many distractions, so many things that are pumped into our life to keep us from praying, to keep us from having this conversation with the Father. We all have a device in our pockets that studies show that we look at every four minutes, which means in this sermon, you're probably going to look at it about eight times. 
And I know you're laughing because you're like, Jacob, I'm going to look at it way more than that. <laughs> but now as I mention it, you're like, do I need to check? Is there something alert I need to look at? It's good. I know. I know. There's so many distractions. People are paying millions of dollars to distract you. Your phone is filled with distractions, and people are paying millions of dollars to push those distractions. It is a hard to stop and pray. And sometimes we struggle with, does, does God even hear my voice? If he's hearing the prayers of all of uh, the people in this room, can he even hear my voice? Well, let me encourage you with one thing. Is that when you're in a crowd, and if you have kids, no one can hear your kid's voice. They may hear the sound of your voice, but they may not specially recognize it. But when I was in Dollywood with the most amount of people I've ever wanted to be uh, around in my entire life, there were so many people there. But at one point, my kid's playing a game over here. My kid's playing a game over here. And I can hear my son's voice over all of them because it is specially connected to my heart that I know their voice. Just recently, I was at the Franklin campus, and I was in the office, and the baby cart comes by, and there's babies crying. There's always babies crying on the baby cart. And as they come by, I hear it crying, and I, I knew for a fact, that is my daughter. And I walked out there, and there's May sitting there crying. Um, I knew her voice over all of And the same is true. We, if we are followers of Christ, we are sons and daughters of the living God, and he hears every one of our voices, especially as you hear your children's voice or your family member's voice. And he wants to hear your voice. But in this age of distraction, we have to focus on conversation. So what is a conversation? A conversation is this, that it is a uh, mix between speaking and listening. Now, we know all healthy conversation, that art, conversation is an art, and healthy conversations have speaking and listening as part of it. And then you add in these distractions, it becomes even harder to do both of these things. If my wife and I are on a, a date night, and I'm sitting there, what, is, what happens? I have my phone there on the table. I already have a piece of distraction just waiting for me. If I'm only talking in this conversation, it's not a two-way street. I'm just basically giving her a sermon. And if I'm not stopping and listening, and I don't mean stopping and waiting for her to stop talking so I can tell the rest of my story, I mean, really listening to what she's saying, then it's not a true conversation. And as we say that, Prayer is a conversation with God. That means there should be a moments of speaking and moments of listening. And as we get to this, I want to talk about for just a second, what does the speaking and what does the listening look like? Just for a moment in, in prayer. And when we think about speaking to God, a lot of times when I'm in discipleship situations with people and I'm like, hey, what is your, because my question is always one of two things when I meet with people for the first time, what does your prayer life look like? What does your daily Bible intake look like? It's the first two questions I always ask. And with prayer, it's like, you know, I would do it, but I really don't know what I'm doing, which is a very good reason. Like when I went into Dollywood, I had no idea what I was doing. I had to ask people. I had to have people walk with me and teach me what to do next, give me helpful tools like maps. But the map alone wasn't enough. I needed people to come point to the map with top hats and canes to come and show me these things. So what I have here I'm going to walk through is just a simple tool. If you're at that place where like, you know, I, sometimes my prayer, I'll pray, and the next thing you know, I'm thinking about what's in the refrigerator or all these things, which we all struggle with. Here's just a helpful tool. This is not a law, but this is a helpful tool to teach us to pray, and it's really just an acronym to walk us through what prayer, as the Bible teaches. So how to speak. The first part of this tool is this, is that we start with adoration. We start, when we go to prayer, we write down and 
I would say a helpful way to do this is just write down acts on a piece of paper, write down adoration and say, this is what I'm going to do first. I'm going to start with adoration. You see in this passage in chapter 17, he says, father. The first thing he says is he calls him his father. This is a term of adoration. In the Lord's prayer, he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be that name, honored be your name as holy. He gives this point of adoration that when we start our prayers, we start with saying, Lord, you are the source of my love and my love is the source of you. Richard Foster says it like this, that real prayer comes not from gritting our teeth, but falling in love. That real prayer comes not from gritting our teeth, but falling in love. And what that means is our adoration is not just rote words that we're saying. We truly do love the Father for the grace and mercy that he's given us. And we start with that adoration. Then we move on to the second part, which is confession. And what you'll see is in 17, as we read, every one of these that we're going to walk through are there except for confession because Jesus was sinless and there was no place for confession. But as we read through it, there is a place for confession for us. So we start with adoration, Lord, we love you. When we move to confession, what that is is laying our heart bare before the Lord. Because Adam and Eve, they hid in the garden because they were ashamed. They didn't want God to know what they had done. But God knew. There was no reason to hide. And it wasn't until they came to a moment of confession like Lord wants us to do. It's like we cannot hide things in our life. We may be filled with shame for it. But when you have sin in your life, there's two places you can go. You can have the shame that leads to repentance. I'm ashamed of what I did and I want to move into the mercy and grace and go this way. Or we can live into the shame, hide in the shame, and that becomes toxic with shame that destroys us. So we come to a place of adoration, then we move to a confession. Lord, this is where I have fallen short. Please help me move forward. So we go from adoration to confession, and then we move to thanksgiving. So we've said, Lord, we love you. You are honored and holy. Lord, this is where I have fallen short. Help me to be less prideful. Help me to be a better husband. Help me to be a better father. This is, I was angry yesterday with my son. Uh, help me to be better in those moments. Lord, I'm confession. And then saying, Lord, these are the things that I am thankful for. And list them out. Here's the things that you've blessed me with. Here's the things where I am so grateful And what you'll realize is there's things that you hadn't even really thought about that fall into the place of Thanksgiving. And I try to do this with my kids, and we get to Thanksgiving, and they start to say, I guess I should be thankful for this. God starts to reveal new things to them. It's not just that we had food on our table, but that we have brothers and sisters, that we have friends, that we have all the things that God's blessed us with. God begins to lift to their hearts, and they begin to pray more grateful prayers. So it's adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Then finally, in the end, is supplication. This is where we begin to bring our desires to the Lord. So after what we've done is we have filtered through this. We have filtered everything that we've been praying through this lens of adoration, confession, thanksgiving. And then at this moment where we have the things that were the desires of our hearts, we've run it through this filter. And it's like, is this something I even desire anymore that I'm praying for? Because Lord, Jesus said in the previous chapter, says, bring your desires to me. Anything you ask in my name, I will give it to you. But then he says, but you haven't asked anything in my name before now. I'm sure they had asked things, but they hadn't asked anything in his name. When we filter through adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, our prayer requests become more holy, and they become holy desires instead of just desires. 
So for me personally, as I come to this supplication right now in my life and in my family's life, uh, my nine-year-old son was born with uh, a couple of different issues. He has two lightning strikes that people with Vanderbilt experts have never seen before. He has a pretty good daily life. He was born with a with what they call a mega bladder, where he had to have a catheter uh, in and output for the first year of his life. And then God healed it, and he started to do things that he wasn't doing on his own before. And he also had some GI issues that were... Um, some struggles for him as a baby, and we weren't sure what it was going to look like. We come to nine years old. He lives a pretty normal life, but just in the last two months, he has been struggling and just getting sick almost every two or three days. And we've tried to do what the doctors have said. We've tried to do these things to where he's at a place where even last night, I'm I'm holding a bucket for him while he's sick, and I'm sitting there, and I am adoration, confession, thanksgiving, but my supplication is, Lord, please Heal my son. That is my holy desire. My holy desire is that God would move in and change the situation. But what I want you to see is that I believe he can heal him. But when we pray these type of prayers, one of the biggest things that changes is not just the situation, but our own hearts. Coming before the Father with this Acts prayer, he is He's not just changing the situation. He is changing my own heart. So that's just a tool for us how to speak. The next thing is how, how do we listen? And the first one is just be still. If I'm sitting trying to listen to my spouse and I'm moving around, I'm looking at my phone, she knows that I'm not listening. In fact, I can't hear her. And like I said, I live in a house with four children. A lot of times I just literally can't hear her. Like, I, I can't hear you over there. I don't know what you're saying. There's people yelling and screaming, hot wheels flying across the room. I just can't hear. There's a moment where I'm like, come over here. And we'll go to the office. Uh, I have an office. It's a little sanctuary that I can go to, but they always follow me in there, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I'm in there, and I'm like, hey, let's talk to each other for a second. I have to be still and, and have to be intentional about moving out of the way. And what I'd say is to listen to God, you have to move the distractions. But what would it look like before we wake up in the morning, the first thing we do before we grab our phone, before we do anything, we go and sit and be still with God. And we listen. We want to speak. We want to do the Acts prayer. But we also want to spend time just listening. God, how would you speak to me? A lot of times our thanksgiving, our confession, our adoration comes from those moments of having a set-aside time to just be still and listening. And I know sometimes when I, when I talk about this for people, they struggle, you know, like, well, how do I know what I'm listening to, what I heard is of God? How do I know that it's not just my own mind saying I should do these things? And Dallas Willard, who's a, a great writer on discipleship, wrote this. And I think it's helpful, and it's also not a law. It's just a helpful uh, way to walk through this. If you believe God has told you to do something, ask him to confirm it to you three times. One, through his word. So if you feel like God has told you anything that's contrarily spoken about in his word, it's probably not from God. So we go through his word first, confirm, asking God to confirm it through his word, through circumstances. As you go about your life, Lord, confirm this to me as I go about my way of being in the world. Or use people that know nothing of the situation. It's like, hey, what do you think about this? And God can use, because God uses all the time. That's how he teaches us. That's how he speaks to us. It's through his word, through circumstances, and through other people. So there's just a hopeful way to say, hey, is this from 
God, let's, let's continue. If we look at verse uh, 6 through 19, this is Jesus transitioning to praying for his disciples. He goes from the inner circle of praying for himself that we should be, sometimes we feel bad about praying for ourselves. We should lift ourselves up before the Father. Then he transitions to praying for his disciples. And what I love about this is, you see this right here, is that Jesus is always praying for his people. What Jesus is doing here, he's interceding for his disciples. What interceding means is I'm gonna step in the gap for these people. I'm gonna pray prayers that they don't even know to pray for themselves. I am interceding for them. And this is the beautiful thing about this is what is Jesus doing right now? What is Jesus doing between the time that he was resurrected, went to heaven, and time he comes back? The Bible says in these three verses and among other places that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. That right now, what he did in verse in chapter 17, he is doing that right now for us. He is praying for the people in this room. He's praying for you and for me. He is interceding for the Father. He is praying for us. He is praying the prayers we don't even know to pray for ourselves. And that is one of the most encouraging things in scriptures that we know that the God of heaven, Jesus Christ, man on earth, is praying for us right now. Man, that's just so encouraging to my heart. We move on to 17, verse 11. Look, look what this says. It says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. So Jesus, Jesus is getting the disciples to this place to realize and in the chapters before he said, I'm going away, but it's literally better for me to go away and you have the Holy Spirit. So he's preparing them that he's going away. He's like, you have the Holy Spirit now. I have taught you everything. I'm going away, but they are still in the world, talking about his disciples. They're still in the world, but I'm going away. And this is a good thing. This is Jesus's model for discipleship that until the day he returns, he's content to say, I have taught them everything they need to know. They have watched me be in the world. They know the way into the world. Now I'm giving them the Holy Spirit. Now I can release them. And think about this, this prayer, this prayer of saying they are still in the world this is the prayer that every disciple before, if you go look at the early church to right now, every disciple as he was passing from this world to the next can say that I am leaving the world, but the people that I poured into are still in the world. That Jesus with content walking away within every generation, the church has existed to this point because people prayed that prayer and says, I am leaving, but I had spent my life pouring into others, discipling them, apprenticing them, teaching them the way of Jesus, the way of being in the world, that I'm content to go to this next life because I have poured into them the way someone poured into me. It's like a child going off to college. When you release them to college, you're like, have I done everything that I needed to do to give them all the skills to be prepared to kick them out of the nest? Or you take your kid to kindergarten. I, it's a hard transition moment because it's like, have I given them all the tools they needed to be successful in this moment? This is what discipleship is. Is That's why this is a prayer of discipleship. Have I taught them all the skills they need to be successful in this world? You know, and I think about this all the time as a discipleship pastor. How am I pouring into the next generation? How am I pouring into people? If I was taking out of the world in this moment, how would the next generation go 
and continue to lead? Like, what have I done to make that successful? Because the church is only one generation of not existing. If one generation says, we're not going to do what God called us to do in discipleship. So how am I pouring into people? You know, and when I first started at Rolling Hills almost four years ago, which is wild to think about, Jacob Thomas, who is on staff here at the Dolansville campus, he was a, in our leadership institute, he was a resident and he was with me in discipleship. And what I saw in Jacob Thomas was a little bit of myself when I first started in ministry. When I started in ministry, I had never, I never even grew up in church. I didn't know anything about church. I went to the pastor and said, hey, God's called me to ministry through salvation. He's called me to ministry and I have no idea about church. I have no idea what I'm doing. Please show me. And he took me under his wing and said, I'm, he took me to funerals. He took me to hospital visits, showed me how to write a sermon. He took me under his wing and said, I'm going to disciple you. And I the reason I'm a discipleship pastor is because of that relationship. So when I saw Jacob Thomas, he was on my team. I was like, how can I pour into Jacob Thomas to take my job one day? How can I pour to him in such a way? I didn't want him to actually take my job. But if it was a scenario, but I'm looking at Jacob and I saw so much of myself except for a smarter version. Don't tell him I said that. And how did I give him, we, I looked, how can I give him opportunities to be the best version of himself? How can I give him opportunities to where if I walked away from ministry, he could step into my job and do it well? So as he transitioned, he became uh, the student director here at Nolensville, and Jason, Jason and I worked together to how we disciple Jacob Thomas to get him to a place, and he's growing faster than I ever thought. I was praying for him on a daily basis, saying, Lord, use Jacob Thomas, use Jacob Thomas, and now it's just a, it brings tears to my eyes because now he's moving into a role here at the Dolansville campus to not just be the student director, but also be the discipleship pastor of this campus to work with him and Jason to say, how do I disciple people? Because it's not just a professional thing that we're doing here. We're doing something that God called us all to do, that we're all called to make disciples, that we're all called to move people forward in this Christ likeness. If we just... Look at this for a second, that we're, if this is a prayer of discipleship, he's praying for his disciples, that he's praying for protection over them. He's praying for their hearts to be recreated. He's praying for them to be sanctified. You see the word here, it says that sanctify them by his truth. What, is, what this means is to be set apart, to be holy. The world is not holy, but by the word, for the word, and in the word, to be protected and also to be set apart. Now look at this, look at this next part of the verse. My prayer is not just for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. Think about this. Jesus is praying for the disciples, but he's also praying for all future disciples and the future church. So what that means is this, that you came to faith through the heart and labor of this exact prayer in John 17. That when you came to faith to be a follower of Christ, or even if you're in this room and you're not a follower of Christ, he was, Jesus was praying for you in the moment that you would decide to follow him. We always look in the Bible, where do we find ourselves? This is where we find ourselves. This is Jesus praying for us. That the God of heaven took time to pray for you and to pray for your children who will come to faith one day and your spiritual children that you will pour into as a disciple maker. Because here's the truth, that everybody in this room is a spiritual child of someone. Someone poured into you, and the question we have to ask is, who will we pour into? This last slide, I want you to see this, is that the unity of the church is the deep longing of God. At the end of this prayer, when he's praying for his disciples and praying for the church, he says, I want them to be one. 
that he made sure to include this idea of unity, that the church, the whole church, not just this church in this room, but the whole church, not just Rolling Hills, but the church in general would be unified and would be one. This was a deep longing of God because he knew that the enemy would seek to do what he does best, and that's divide over tertiary things. That's why he makes it very clear in this passage that the unity should be over the glory of God, the gospel, and the mission to reach and disciple the lost. Those are the things that unite the church. And those, everything else is side issues compared to knowing God, honoring God, glorifying God, and reaching and discipling the lost. This is the mission of the church, and this is the thing that unifies us. So that's a lot of information in a short period of time, but this is what I want you to see. From all this, we see from the way Jesus practiced prayer here that prayer is a primary habits that we should be intentional about having this conversation with God in our life. But what I want you to see is that when we say, I need to talk to God, we're not saying, I need to talk to God this far off figure. If we are followers of Christ, God is with us and he is in us. We're praying to a God that not as far off, but that is in us and with us. How encouraging to know that we're not reaching this far off place. We're reaching into our own hearts where God is living. And that by practicing prayer on a daily basis, we are reaping the greatest benefit of being part of the people of God to communicate with the God of the cosmos and that he wants to speak with us. In this prayer, Jesus prayed for salvation he prayed for protection, he prayed for unity, and he prayed for love. Oftentimes in church, we get so caught up of letting the professionals pray, where the pastor's praying, the worship leader's praying, we're praying so much, we never have spots for us to pray as a church. So that's what we're gonna do right now. There's gonna be prayer prompts on the screens of these four things. Well, when it comes up, what I want you to do as it goes through salvation, protection, unity, love, I want you to pray those prayers for salvation for yourself or thanking God for your salvation, salvation for the people God's put around you. And as we go to unity, pray for unity of the church. We're praying for protection against the evil one of ourselves and our family, of the people in this room. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna put the slide on the screen for about 30 seconds. You're gonna pray. I'm gonna close this in prayer and move on to the next. We just wanna provide space for you to be and speak and even listen to the God of heaven who loves you. The first prayer is this, pray for salvation. up anyone in this room who does not know you, Lord, or is seeking you and never made the step to being your follower, Lord, I pray that they make that decision right now. Lord, and for the people that you've placed in our life that do not know you, Lord, I pray we intercede for them the way Jesus interceded for us, the way he interceded for his people, we intercede for them and say, Lord, bring them to the saving knowledge of you. Lord, and we pray for the people that we don't even know, the people in the world who never even heard your name before, Lord, would they come to know 
and taste and see that you are good. Amen. I will pray for protection. you said in John 17 you said protect them his disciples by the power of your name Lord we pray that prayer right now Lord that you would protect the people in this room by the power of your name Lord and the people that you've put into our care to disciple and to care for Lord that we would be protected by the name of Jesus, protected from the enemy, protected from temptation, protected from disunity, protected from distraction, Lord, that we would know that in your name we have your protection. And we pray for unity. pray that you will, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, unify, unify this Nolensville campus, Lord, that you would focus everyone in this room who calls this campus home to the focus of glorifying your name and making disciples, Lord, and everything else will fall into line after that, Lord. We pray for Rolling Hills in general, that we would fall into line of glorifying your name with our actions, that we would live sent as you were sent, God, that you would do this not just at Rolling Hills, but the church who claims to glorify your name, that you would unify us under this passion of making disciples, Lord, that we would care for each person in this world as if they were all own family until the day you returned. Lord, unify us, not to be pulled apart by distractions, Lord, but to be unified by your mission alone. And we pray for love. Lord, make us a people that are defined by love. That we love you with our own whole heart. And that love goes from our heart to our hands of how we care for those around us, Lord. And we ask all of this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.